Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, January 8th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. And I have been gone for four days now, so I'm so happy to be back. I'm feeling much better. And I decided to have a discussion about a lot of the different things that I haven't been able to get into yet, such as the Epstein document discussion, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, the CBDC push, and all these different things coming. And of course, I can't have that conversation without inviting Whitney Webb on. So how are you today? It's always good to have you back on. Hey, Ryan. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. It's always the uh, the conversation for Whitney Webb to discuss the intersection of Epstein and... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but definitely, you're the person that we always want to talk to about these things. So um, I, I, I'd like to get into the larger push. And really, for me, I wanted to invite you on today just because, um, you know, like I said, I've been kind of off the grid and I'm, I'm sure there's things that you've caught that I'd like to get your opinion on. <laughs> but I, I've, I wanted to talk about the kind of larger point about where this continues to go, something we're all very worried about, the growing risk of the central bank digital currency, how that is going to be pushed. Is it going to be, you know, the chicken for the egg kind of conversation? Is it going to be a digital ID that then necessitates the other, or is it going to be the other way around? Is it going to be some kind of a, a virus that necessitates some alleviation of any kind of physical, you know, that I'm, I'm very worried about what that comes and how it, in what form it comes next. But before we get into that, actually, I'd like to ask you about Epstein and the, kind of sure. new conversation about the releasing of the names and the information. My immediate kind of reflexive thought on this was, you know, first of all, first and foremost, why would we take it face value that this is even going to be honest after everything that we've come through, the lies we've seen, the dragging of the feet from the same people who are involved with letting this stuff trickle out, you know? So what are your thoughts on just of the, the veracity of what we're being shown with this so far? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't think the documents like aren't accurate or like falsified if that's what you mean. Um, but what I do think, so first of all, I mean, uh, once again, a lot of people have treated this as like a release of some sort of client list. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not that. So for the past, you know, several years at, at various intervals, there's been releases, uh, from the civil case between Virginia Jufre or Virginia Roberts, uh, against Ghislaine Maxwell, which was like originally a defamation suit. Um, and so there's been, there was later motions filed to release documents tied to that court case. And so this is um, one of those releases that's coming out now. And in past um, situations like this, you know, it's, it's been like existing documents that were public, but names were just unredacted that had previously been redacted. So my understanding of these documents is that it's a mix of that and some new stuff that came up in like discovery mm -hmm. or um, interviewing witnesses and, and stuff like that, that hadn't previously uh, been publicly released. And so a lot of the names around that suit, are already known even before uh, any sort of unredact, uh, like the removal of redactions took place because um, Virginia Dufre commonly speaks to the media and is, you know, uh, she generally names, has named some names at least um, pretty consistently like Alan Dershowitz. Um, she's mentioned the Pritzkers uh, or Tom Pritzker specifically and, um, you know, some Ehud Barak, some of these other names. And uh, again, with this, you know, uh, these documents that have come out, you know, those are the names that are coming up. Clinton, of course, is one that she had previously mentioned and who is in these documents as well. And um, 
you know, on that note, I think uh, mainly what this is accomplishing is the same uh, thing that, you know, most Epstein coverage has sought to accomplish Mm -hmm. over the past several years, which is mainly to keep the focus on more salacious aspects of Jeffrey Epstein's uh, activities during his career, which again is uh, much larger than just sex blackmail. Um, and it's, it's meant to uh, sort of, I, I always, I think, feel like we've talked about this before. A lot of Epstein coverage is, is about Clinton and Trump so mm-hmm. that people just sort of to repeat a lot of the stuff that went on in the 2016 election era, you have, you know, the Trump backing people being like, look at the, you know, look at Clinton in the, you know, DNC backing people look at Trump. And it's just like, you know, focused on those two figures, but what has come of it? Right. So Trump has, you know, everything that could be found about him being inappropriate with women has been made available. It's had no effect on anything. And I mean, same with Bill Clinton, what's happened to him. Everyone knows they're both pervy guys and, and, and what has been done. Nothing nothing tangible. And so that, you know, they're essentially the discourse is remaining there. And that's, that's true with these, um, you know, current documents, at least as far as, as I've seen in terms of the reporting that's come out on it, because, you know, uh, like you, Ryan, I've had some stuff go on the past few days. So I haven't been like in the, in the weeds with these documents themselves, but that's my impression. And it's important to keep in mind that the judge overseeing this case uh, isn't necessarily like uh, someone who's not going to help the quote unquote deep state cover stuff up. Um, people may remember Stephen Donzinger, who is the attorney that was placed under house arrest because he uh, won a case against Chevron on behalf of indigenous groups in Ecuador who had Chevron like contaminated their land with an oil spill. And so Donziger represented them and he won the case and was essentially punished for uh, embarrassing Chevron. And so the same judge that presided over this release is the same person that sentenced him to house arrest for successfully representing an indigenous group in Ecuador. So I mean, if she's willing to go to bat for Chevron under those metrics, I wouldn't trust her as necessarily someone who's going to, um, you know, put out the most damaging stuff. And I don't really think this suit to begin with, um, what was necessarily designed to release everything about Epstein either. I mean, this isn't related to any of the stuff that happened in 2019. This particular case precedes uh, Epstein's 2019 arrest and and death, um, you know, by a while. And so, um, you know, the stuff that was part of that investigation or the raids on his home in 2019 and stuff like that, none of that is included here. Right. Or whatever the FBI has on Epstein and all of that. None of that is included here. Um, So, again, these are just kind of the same uh, stuff to sort of put attention on on Epstein and and give the impression that there's increased transparency. Right. Uh, Really isn't any increased transparency that's meaningful. I mean, maybe there's some details here and we know that, yes, Ehud Barak and Dershowitz are, you know, just as dirty as we had assumed they were from these previous things and really, you know, but to your point, we already knew that tangibly, you know, Mm -hmm. are those people going to go to prison? No, of course. (laughs) Right. But as I said, to your point, we already knew that though, right. It's more just about acknowledging the, right. Yeah. For me, this, this is, and the kind of the more of the surface level point on it, it, it's, or rather the, the broader the point to it all is just that wondering whether or not, well, I guess the first question is, so do you think this was done 
just was it just benign? This was just a process for leasing information, or do you think there's a motivation behind doing this? How do you see that part of it? And then I have a question for you. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, every time there's like a big, um, um, what's the word? Sort of like a hoopla around mm-hmm. Epstein coverage. It tends to be stuff like this that ultimately may be interesting or may return a focus to the case, but it's ultimately right. uh, serves as a distraction. And then again, again, what I mentioned earlier serves to sort of reinforce uh, yes. focus on Epstein and like particular figures only in particular acts right. that Epstein was affiliated with. You know, no one's ever going to go after and report on the financial crimes right, right. of Epstein uh, or any of this AI Silicon Valley stuff uh, that he was involved with very extensively um, or the biosecurity stuff or the eugenic stuff. Um, you know, all of that is essentially left out. Uh, uh, any of the tech related stuff. Um, I mean, it seems like he essentially compromised Microsoft in the 90s, too. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that's very important and valuable and literally no one, not literally no one, but like the vast majority of the public when it comes to Epstein there, what they have in their head is, Oh, Clinton and Trump, you know, and maybe Ehud Barak and Woody Allen and, you know, some of the names that get most circulated around there. But Epstein reporting, I think is a, you know, in general, very uh, salacious and, and, uh, d- distractionary and yeah. And so you have a big thing like this. No, people are spending all their time looking at this stuff on Epstein. That's already known um, and isn't going to change anything about the present. Uh, but everyone's attention is focused on that, yeah. uh, particularly in conspiracy minded circles. Mm. Right. Um, well, seen, which are the people that out. pay attention to a lot of other things, generally speaking, which is a good thing though, right. To be able to pay attention to all the many different moving parts, but just don't buy blindly believe them all without evidence. But what's interesting is I've already seen a lot of, which by the way, this is not unique. This happens on a, any, every day I would argue, but that there's a lot of fake information already circulating around all this people faking oh, images sure. and saying, here's so-and-so's name on here. And then it turns out that it wasn't included. Yeah. It's like, and so then everybody believes that and says, that's the lie. And they hid this from the bigger, you know, it becomes this, it's, it, that's the larger point that becomes a limited hangout, right? That's kind of the larger point. Yeah. And also QAnon has like created these memes that claim to have the verified list of people who went to Epstein's Island. And it's not a verified list. It's like almost entirely a made up list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets circulated and people share it and uh, don't do due diligence on it. And, you know, right. people assume people like Miley Cyrus and whatever have been to the island and there's no evidence for that that I've seen anyway. So, yeah. Well, I think in general that pretty much covered all the bases. I'll just give the comp my comment about it and is that, you know, my reason for asking this from you in particular is that, you know, not that I immediately am like the entire thing is a trap or it's a lie, which it certainly could be, but more so just that my mindset is always like, like with a FOIA request in general, my mind is always finding it. I find it hard to wrap my mind around the idea that a powerful structure, and I know it's not an all encompassing thing. It never really is. There's moving parts and different people, different entities, but that they would give you something that would ultimately expose a crime. You know what I mean? Or in this sense that this would end up being released and it's like, and it really is just a full accounting. And I just, I find that really hard to believe. Call me a pessimist. I'm jaded. I get it. But I just don't see how that makes sense in the world we live in today. But I I hope that there's more. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some stuff that they won't let come out. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, just look at the Kennedy assassination. Those documents should have been out long ago and they will never come out. Why? Um, because they basically show that their official narrative is bullshit and there's lots of other 
events that, you know, are, are like that too. Um, right. right. You know, well, here's um, a good point for this though. So what if, what if they were to, let's say, add somebody's name, everything else is completely accurate, but they just insert Donald Trump's name and it wasn't supposed to be there, you know, whatever it means to somebody out there. And that, that's the kind of thing I worry about. Not to say that we know yeah. that happened or not, but that's so easy to do right now, even just from an individual in the middle of the process. You know, well, so I think, yeah, I think FOIAs are not necessarily the biggest threat on the, uh, in that sphere. Uh, it's more, you know, the whole era of deep fakes that they've been fear mongering right. about for years, as we've discussed mm-hmm. for years, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's definitely kicking up because the technology has been more, has become more accessible and more like widely used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think that kind of making someone making an AI version of someone and they're saying stuff they didn't actually say, and then it goes viral and stuff like that. I'm so worried um, about that. I think that's, yeah, I think that's pretty inevitable. I just don't uh, know how it hasn't happened point. yet. I know I say it every time, but I'm like this, like you're, to your point, it's been around and it's been possible. I just, I just, it's, I, I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Right. I mean, it's yeah. going to happen. It's I, going I, to be folded into the push we can see now to stop alleged misinformation. You think? Um, yeah. And so deep fakes are going to be a big part of that. And that's going to be part of the big like AI regulation of AI and regulation of the internet, um, that they're going to push where, you know, you know, I've never used chat GPT or anything like that, but from what I understand you, in order to use it, you have to make an account. Mm-hmm. Right. So I presume mm-hmm. that in order to stop deep, deep fakes, what they will suggest is that in order to use generative AI, you have to have an account and it will be tied to your, new ID, digital ID, and then they'll know exactly who's producing what with the AI, right? Uh, Just like they want to push for the digital ID for access to the internet through your ISP or internet service provider um, Mm -hmm. as a way to to eliminate anonymity and privacy online, which is part of this. uh, They're starting first with, we have to do it for social media. Your social media account has to be tied to an ID, but the ultimate goal of that particular agenda very clearly is to have your entire internet access tied to that. So presumably your access to generative AI will also be tied to that. So I think that's, um, you know, how they're going to try and and manage that. They basically want to be able to surveil and know exactly who is uh, producing and putting what online. Yeah. Yeah. And if you listen to Eric Schmidt, who spoke recently, he wants to treat anyone that's, that puts out misinformation as a criminal remember and misinformation to these guys is very subjective as we've covered many times uh you know things that are counter to the state narrative can be considered disinformation or misinformation even if they're completely true just not what the state department says or something like that you know so um and that's also the broader agenda of this partnership against cybercrime that I wrote about for T-Lab in 2021 um uh, which essentially as policy wants to treat misinformation spreaders as cyber criminals and the department of justice, the FBI and the secret service are all members of that. That's terrifying. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the deep fake aspect might just be another, a fourth prong to this hypothetical. I worry about, you know, where it's going to be some kind of a, you know, where that that's going to be something I think that I, I just, my point is not necessarily that I can't believe the government hasn't does it haven't, hasn't done it yet but rather that there hasn't just been some large version of somebody trying to frame somebody or, you know what I mean? Like, how has that not happened yet? It's just crazy. I think they're waiting. Do you remember cyber reason? Yeah. We talked about them a long time ago and their uh, simulation for how to cancel a U.S. presidential election and how it involved uh, madness in the real world 
killware, which is yeah. what the head of DHS said is going to be the next big cyber attack, um, combined with uh, chaos in the in the virtual world online, the you know on social media and whatnot with with deep fakes and fake news and whatever. Um, so. Uh, if that if something like that were to happen, and we know that they want to have some big cyber attack next year, and it's been framed previously as a, as a sort of cyber pandemic, which suggests yeah. uh, multiple things happening simultaneously, so attacks on multiple aspects of infrastructure in multiple states and multiple places, um, combined with chaos online. Um, yeah, I mean, cause this is the, what I just talked about, the, the driver's license for the internet and all this stuff is, is how they want to, is what they want to get. Right. And so in order to do right. that, they have to basically make privacy and anonymity dangerous in the minds of the people. And so faceless hackers right. are going to be the bad guys and then they can attribute, you know, they can say they're from country X and, uh, they're allied with country Y or with terrorist group A. I don't know. They can literally say they're anyone, <laughs> yeah. anyone they want. And with uh, WikiLeaks Vault 7 releases, right. we know they can literally put the fingerprints um, of anyone they want in, in the hack itself. I'm surprised nobody so, brings that up as much. as I, that, I bring that up all the time in that very point to where they could, you know, why we don't ask it. Iran did this. It's like, well, that could just as easily been the State Department. You already proved that you have the ability to do that, but it never... I mean, obviously, we know why the corporate media doesn't bring it up, but that just can yeah. it shows you how transparently bad these people are at their jobs or don't care. But yeah, I don't think they really care. Um, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues with the the cyber attack stuff. I think it's kind of um, I mean, they've essentially framed it as an inevitability, but I think they want to make things as chaotic as possible uh, to push for these re this regulation of the Internet. And um yeah, so I yeah. suspect it's going to get very crazy both online and offline. Um, and I think it's likely that it'll be around the U.S. presidential election just because of the political uh, fragility in the states. And, you know, all of this, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen it with the January 6th anniversary now, all this efforts to sort of like strengthen and aggravate that divide, you mm -hmm. know, right. and um, really aggressively. I mean, it's every, yeah. it seems worse than like at 2020, I think. And before it was, you know, it was pretty divided. But I think right now it's become I, I don't know if it's be, just because of or rather more so because of the Israel Gaza overlap. That's really got a lot of emotions running high, but it feels more divided than ever. <laughs> personal opinion, but yeah. you know, it's hard to tell. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't live in the U.S., so I can't really tell you how Americans are necessarily feeling beyond what's on the line, um, yeah. you know, but it definitely seems um, like they're setting up the 2024 to election to be completely insane, mm -hmm. um, much more insane than previous elections. Um, and I think January 6th was honestly a warm up for the type of events that they want to have in order to justify all the stuff they've been setting up for years that we have covered for years. The war on domestic terror, the regulation of the Internet, um, all of this stuff. Um, and the other thing uh, that I guess we could throw in here, too, is um, the dollar is going to implode. Uh, mm -hmm. The U.S. debt is too insane. And so there's going to be some sort of like, you know, phase in to a different kind of currency um, for the, the CBDC era. And, you know, as I'm, I know your audience knows the CBDC and the digital ID, uh, they go together, right. You know, the digital ID is like 
tied up with your wallet for CBDCs. I mean, that's how all this stuff has been designed essentially. So, yeah, my point in the beginning was, you know, early on, I wasn't sure which way it would go, you know, whether it would be some kind of a justification for that digital ID, which would then necessitate the, you know, the need for the digital currency, or rather, this is where I wonder about, which we can possibly get into if we want to, about the, the, the threat of that action, you know, the cyber attack, release something, which would then be used mm-hmm. as a justification. Oh, we lost all of our online information, or, or rather the, you know, ledgers and so on, but don't worry, we have the digital ID information, but we need you to sign up for it. We can dole out your information. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, that would be an easy way to trap people into the new system. But, you know, I'm not sure yeah. which way it would go. Both well, the, the financial stuff, I mean, is likely to be a victim of part of this cyber pandemic, as mm-hmm. as I wrote about, you know, for T-Lab in 2021. Uh, that was the main thing they simulated, all of the big banks. Um, and it's very possible that um, not all of the banks are in on it. You have like the big four, the biggest five banks in the U.S. that are maybe in on it. And then their mm-hmm. competitors get totally destroyed by the cyber attack. But the two big to fail banks... Um, have been planning for a cyber attack on the financial system and gaming it out basically like in this article and mm-hmm. um, which is April 7th, 2021. Yeah. And uh, the Pritzkers are the people that were in charge of the think tank that produced that report. Of course. Um, yes. Uh, the same Pritzker, I, you know, same family I mentioned earlier, Tom Pritzker, uh, tied up with the Epstein scandal and they uh, yeah, they run two of the most important think tanks in the United States. And at the time uh, that simulation happens in that article, you just had up uh, the head guy that was running the Carnegie endowment was William Burns. And now he's CIA director. What do you know? And he was meeting with Epstein. Um, people should really look into the Pritzker Epstein relationship. There's a reason that one doesn't get any coverage. Right. This, yep. this, 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 uh, you know, web, no pun intended is just so, so <laughs> obvious. I mean, it really is just crazy yeah. the, the way that you highlight these connections, but you know, the other point, which, which we kind of alluded to, but I'm not sure, uh, we, we, we've done the 2020 election special back then. So I floated mm-hmm. it with Whitney. I'm still, we're waiting to see if uh, we end up doing it or not, but we are thought thinking about doing another election special coming into this new season. I think it's a good time for it because just like with this one and a lot of the predictions you made, you know, right now, this does feel like another one of those moments, you know, like whatever that was then, like we feel that already again, like everybody seems to feel that. So it'd be a good time to really get into that. And I I think that the next point, which we were going to get into, which is kind of the next step you were talking about is that transition, right? And so you had a really great article about, um, which I haven't actually had a chance to read yet, but it's about the so you told me it was really great, but you told me. <laughs> you just, you <laughs> well, I think great. it's important but, for people to understand. Right. Well, know, let, let's but... get into it because what you did tell me, I'm really fascinated about. And I'd like, I have some questions about, so the, the, fa- the Sam Bankman freed FTX overlapped all this. Like a lot of people are aware of that intersection, but maybe don't see this part of it. And so go into that part about what he's, what you see his role as with the government, with the transition and the, and wall street. So go ahead and let us know what you were talking about. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to, to tackle answering, answering that. So uh, basically, um, and if you want to know more about this, please read the article. Um, mm. The way CBDCs are going to come to the United States is not going to be like other countries. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is um in order to produce a CBDC, the Fed, uh, it would take the Federal Reserve several years to develop and test that CBDC. 
And uh, they're behind relative to other big countries who are already essentially ready to launch if they haven't already launched their CBDC, right? So that's one. And the other one is um, if the central bank is the one that's directly issuing the CBDC, which is the CBDC model in China and Russia and a lot of these other countries, specifically BRICS countries, um, are the ones that are like man- obviously managed and developed by the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements. Um, in the U.S., there's something that happens called fractional reserve banking, which is like what the commercial banks do. And there's a graphic of it in the article for people that like don't understand the concept. Well, but basically the idea is like when you go to deposit like a thousand dollars into a bank, that thousand dollars doesn't like stay there. They don't like hold on to it as reserves. So you can like redeem your money immediately. They'll like save a percent of it. And then loan the rest out to somebody else. And they call this like private capital creation. So this is like the business model. Yeah, this is the business model of all the big banks, all the really all the commercial banks in the United States. The bottom, to make it really simple for the average person, it's just that that's why these banks don't have the currency they might need in any given moment because they use more. Like what is the percentage? It's like it's, it's, uh, they're only required to have, how much was it? Do you remember? It's basically I think it's like t- ten to one yeah. or something. So yeah, you, you give them hundred dollars and they, they end up loaning out a thousand, right? And so, like, the, just the point is that that's not sustainable. I don't know why. Well, this is why this is why there's bank runs and stuff when everyone comes right. and asks for your asks for their money back at the same time the bank doesn't have the money. Exactly. Right? That's that because of be fra- okay. the fractional reserve system. Yes. So if you're going to have a direct issued CBDC. Every dollar that the digital dollar that the Fed would issue would have to, they'd have to have something backing that up one to one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that basically eliminates the need in a lot of ways for commercial banks and fractional reserve banking. Yeah. Um, And in the United States, unlike a lot of other central banks, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, is owned by the private banks. So they're not going to do that. Yeah. what they want to do instead is have what's called a synthetic CBDC, um, which a lot of people haven't heard that there's different types of CBDCs. There are, there's a synthetic CBDC, which is basically a stable coin. uh, But the reserves are either banked with the fed or managed by something like fed now that was launched last year. Um, And fed now is not, people called it like a CBDC and stuff. It's not, it's an interbank settlement network. So it's how banks resolve stuff between them. And this is a graphic from the federal reserve. So you can literally see in the graphic that it like doesn't come to the end user at all. It's all just about within banks. So the fed may issue a CBDC, but it will be for settlement interbank settlement. It'll be for movements of money between banks, not from the bank to you. So what you are going to manage in the CBDC paradigm in the United States is not going to be called a CBDC. It's going to be called a stable coin probably, or a deposit token, um, which is basically where they're tokenizing your bank deposits. But for and those then trading still, that on these blockchain platforms and stuff. Still digital currency for those that aren't in the crypto yeah. scene, right? So we're talking about a that you hear people token, some people, but most people know. But so it's going to be something that's still tradable online, but not. So what's the totally. difference? Totally. So these person? stable coins and deposit tokens are just as programmable and surveillable as CBDCs are. Yeah. So all the bad stuff. But in, <laughs> all the bad stuff is still there. Yeah. Good, good. yeah. So, I mean, most people, the most of the public that's aware of CBDCs uh, is aware that they're programmable and surveillable and bad. 
Um, but they think as long as the Fed doesn't issue us issue it directly, we're fine. And no. Uh, so, okay. So Jerome Powell, uh, the chairman of the Fed, isn't going to be the guy programming your money. Yeah. But okay. Let's have Jamie Dimon do it. Is that really any better? You know what I mean? So course, this really, has I happened think. a lot. Well, yeah. So this has happened a lot in terms of like how the U.S. Um, blob, the deep state, mm. sort of like manages this stuff when it's trying to get the, the public to acquiesce to things they normally wouldn't acquiesce to. Like remember total information awareness mm-hmm. um, and how they tried to do that as like a public-private thing, have the military run it out of DARPA. And then they were like, oh, everyone's mad about this. Let's just turn it into a private company. And uh, it was made into Palantir. Right. And then no one complained. (laughs) Right. So, you know, people are aware and wary of CBDCs in the U.S. At least a significant portion of the population is, Mm -hmm. you know, specifically right leaning, which tends to be the side that has guns. So they Mm -hmm. want those guys to be as more psyop than anyone else so they can be more easily controlled. Cause they're probably not going to come and take it until they're absolutely sure they can. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they know people are wary of it. And so they're just going to be like, we don't, we didn't do CBDCs because of freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to have the, you know, have the banks do it or act like that. They're not doing anything different. I mean, technically a lot of the dollars that we use today are digital. They're just like entered in bank right. spreadsheets and stuff. You know, but the problem now is um, the dollar is being inflated away, you Mm -hmm. know, and what basically is backing the dollar right now is the treasury system, which is, you know, related to how the U.S. services its debt. And now it's getting to a point where we've passed what, like 34 trillion dollars in debt. And so that's obviously unsustainable. So what's very likely is that when the shift takes place, since they can't use like the, the U.S. will probably be at a point where it might or will default on its debt, in which case treasuries are like not a safe asset anymore like they have been historically. So you're going to have these guys try and peg the dollar to something else, some other sort of commodity that has value. It's very possible it will be Bitcoin, which if you're familiar uh, with how the SEC uh, is treating cryptocurrency in the cryptocurrency industry. They label literally every cryptocurrency as security, except mm. for Bitcoin, which they label as a commodity. And, how do they get away uh, with that? Hmm? I, I, you brought that before. How do you get away with that exactly? What's the differentiating? Like, because you're still if you're if you're just if you're differentiating between Ethereum and Litecoin, how are it, it's? They're that, all securities. A, only Bitcoin's a commodity, according to the SEC. Not that they need to give it. You know, they're criminals. But what's their argument for why that's somehow different? If they're the same, go ahead. I think it's just the nature. I don't mean I don't want to get too in the weeds because I'm not like okay, an expert okay. on this stuff either. I'm just um, interested. But by essentially, that because- uh, you know, the way Bitcoin is is set up and how it's mined and how mm-hmm. it's like deflationary and like much more decentralized by nature than a lot of these other ones that makes it more of a commodity than a security. Mm, Interesting. And all these other ones uh, are essentially, you know, created an entirely different way. And so they're treated as securities. You know, that uh, Odyssey is still under massive attack for that same point. It's so ridiculous. Just on a side note, they're they're dealing with that same securities issue because they use a cryptocurrency as their payment for those listening. It's crazy. But, um, 
Well, I'm, I'm, I, th- I think, you know, the test they apply, the SEC does, I forget what it's called. I think it's like the Howie test or something and how they determine all this stuff. I, can, I mean, I can't exactly remember, but I mean, if you're interested in why Bitcoin's a commodity and everything else is a security, there's definitely a lot of information about that online. Okay. But yeah, for the yeah. purposes of this conversation, that's how the SEC views it. Therefore, okay. the U.S. government views Bitcoin differently than they view other cryptocurrency, hmm. right? And uh, one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin in the world is the U.S. government. It's the Department of Justice. Uh, they have like billions of dollars of Bitcoin. <laughs> you know what's funny um, about that? That's like them telling you cannabis is going to kill everybody while stocking up on it and giving people medical cannabis. It's another one's behind the scenes loading up on Bitcoin. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Yeah. Jeez. So my uh, my friend that co-wrote this piece with me and actually helped me a lot with the digital dollar stuff, Mark Goodwin, has an entire book about. Uh, what he calls the Bitcoin dollar and the whole idea that um, they're going to peg the dollar to Bitcoin. And he doesn't necessarily think that's a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the way they're going to try and co-opt Bitcoin to like serve their ends Mm -hmm. uh, will possibly be that way. But even if it's not Bitcoin, it will be something else because they plan to keep the dollar around. I don't think the dollar is going to get totally decimated. Like some people are predicting it will on its current trajectory, but they obviously have a plan to peg it to something. Yeah. And to to and you know if they allow the price of Bitcoin to skyrocket and they have all these Bitcoin holdings, then they'll have a very easy time servicing um, that debt problem. Mm-hmm. So, well, depending on how high it goes, I don't know. Right. Anyway, um, so basically to wrap that up, the U.S. is going to get a stable coin, <laughs> um, and it's or a synthetic CBDC. Of Which course, nothing nothing says stable like Sam Bankman Freed, right? So let's talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how does he fit in here? So if you are familiar with the FTX scandal or my coverage of it, uh, there was this tiny bank in the middle of rural Washington that was essentially bought by this guy named Noah Perlman and John Shalopin. Uh, Shalopin is the guy that runs Deltec, which is this uh, bank in the Bahamas. It's very spooky very tied up with intelligence for a long time, sort of in the Rockefeller network. It has a very, like, you know, very extensive history uh, way before the present era, but in the present era, they've sort of become a crypto bank. And so they've, um, they were one of the the big banks supporting FTX uh, and also Tether, which is, you know, the biggest US dollar pegged stable coin. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to position itself by direct collaboration with the FBI and secret service and and these guys uh, to be the synthetic CBDC of the U S we'll see if they allow that. There's a lot of competition to be that stable coin or to make that stable coin. Uh, And actually not that long before FTX collapsed, uh, Sam Bankman fried tweeted stuff about, you know, how there's these stable coin wars Mm -hmm. uh, and how this has led to a lot of the scandals in crypto, them fighting over who's going to be in charge and right before FTX collapsed, he was saying that he um, he, he and FTX were going to announce uh, their involvement with a particular stable coin. And this little bank that had been taken over by Deltec uh, got all this money from Alameda Research, which is part of the FTX family of companies, and then uh, got pumped with a bunch of money by Sam Bankman fried So basically, they got $11.5 million from Alameda, which is uh, like was more like more than half the net worth of the entire bank at the time. And then uh, Sam Bankman fried puts in $50 million. Uh, and this bank has never had more than like $10 million in deposits. 
for That's like a hundred years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very suspicious. Uh, yeah. And it was actually the bank then re-changed its name right after all this happened to Moonstone. It used to be Farmington State Bank and it became Moonstone. Um, and then all this stuff started happening. They got involved in crypto. They tried to get involved in the cannabis industry. Um, and, uh, they teamed up with this company called Fluent Finance, which was just a lot of my article is about that particular company. Um, and Fluent Finance is creating, uh, basically what they hope to be this digital dollar stable coin. They call it US plus. And one of the co-founders is actually the uh, alleged inventor of CBDCs named Oliver Gale. And the other co-founder worked with him on the first CBDC. And the other guy is like an ex-NATO spook <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that got involved in, in economic stuff and uh, kind of shady economic stuff, to be honest, and uh, teamed up with a lot of big executives from Citigroup specifically and created this company that's trying to make CBDC compatible deposit tokens so that US plus or whatever other dollar pig stable coin is going to be interoperable with CBDCs anywhere in the world. And so even after FTX collapsed, this company has now gone to the United Arab Emirates is directly partnered with the company making their CBDC and is building all of this uh, deposit token and stable coin tech for interboard, like intercountry international trade finance, basically uh, mm-hmm. to basically make all the CBDCs, plus these stable coins and deposit tokens that they're going to do in countries like the U S to make them all interoperable. So they can all just be traded on the same platforms. Is that what the deposit token means that you can essentially trade it into something else? Well, yeah. So for the purpose of this conversation, I guess the stable coins and deposit tokens we'll put in the same group as this sort of like private CBDC. That's not really a CBDC, but is you know, okay. like I sort of yeah. explained earlier. Right. And then the CBDCs that we all know about that are like the BIS and like, you know, the digital yuan follows that model, the direct issue CBDC. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's all about making them interoperable. And so like the UAE, which is trying to go the furthest, fastest into this 4IR finance space mm-hmm. um, is trying to do the stable coin deposit token thing with their current money and then also make a cbdc for it they're doing both interesting and i think they want to be this bridge between like east and west of the people that do this thing like the u.s is going to do and then do it like the BRICS countries is going to do it they want to be where those different models meet and And that's what they're setting up what's interesting (laughs) about what you described from their end of it is as much as this whole thing is nefarious to me the very concept of these cbdc's that's what you would expect if it was what they're telling you it is a very transparent process to like, you know, my point is that from the U S perspective, it always seems like we're on the lookout for the next false flag. That's going to justify the next bl- clumsy step. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whereas over there, at least they're arguing like, okay, hey, we're going to transition from this to that kind of a thing, even if it doesn't happen. I just think it's interesting that the differences between the way our, our governments work, even though there's a lot of, you know, overlap to that, but sure. I, I see this being something that's kind of a rug pull ultimately, but I, so, so the Sam Bankman freed aspect of it, you're, yeah, the, I, I'm going to get back to that. So oh, this sorry. company yeah, fluent go. finance was making the stable coin. Yeah. So Sam Bankman freed, in my opinion, uh, was setting this up with the Dell tech guy. Uh, they were going to, so they were teamed up with tether this other dollar stable coin. And they mm. knew that dollar uh, that, that tether at least at that point in time was unlikely to pass the regulation hurdle when they regulate the crypto industry. Congress does. 
mm-hmm. right? So they were looking for some another company that like would meet those requirements. And then they were backing that. So it seems like, uh, in my opinion, SBF and then Dell Tech were using Farmington to basically create this stable coin that was going to be the, the digital dollar. And that I think is a, was a big motivation behind the massive political donations that SBF made. And he made them to the Democrats, but remember that another top FTX executive, Ryan Salome made an insane uh, amount of political donations to the Republicans. So they of were course. financing both parties. Right. The real Very picture. Heavily. Suddenly the real picture you can see where right? it's always left. And well, right there's so much ways. focus on SBF and the DNC and Democrats, right. but not a lot on how they were funding uh, both parties. So right. yeah, That's what I, mean. yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with, on, yeah. you know, we'll pay you and favor our stable coin to be the, the digital dollar of choice because when they regulate and set all this up, they're going to decide which dollar pig stable coins or stable coin get to be, get to play ball you know, Mm -hmm. and which ones don't. So it's very likely that, you know, maybe they'll start off with a couple before moving to like one, you know, the illusion of choice, but it'll be the illusion of choice. So it's possible you'll have like USDC, which is produced by circle. Maybe you'll have tether since tether is like bending over backwards to be like, look how compliant we are. And the, the head of tether, their CEO was uh, like, we want to be a global part uh, the partner of choice for the U S government to expand dollar hegemony around the world. Yeah, they said that. <laughs> yeah. He said that. So, I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They all, there's all this competition to be the digital dollar or at least make it through the regulatory cut. So con- mm. the, the congressmen deciding all of this are the kingmakers. And so yeah. that's what this was about. I think with SBF. And so, it's important because there's other people, SBF's obviously out of the picture now. Mm-hmm. And so is right. Moonstone. It was like shut down by the Fed, even though the Fed like still won't explain why they improved it in the first place when they obviously shouldn't have and like won't comment at all on the, uh, <laughs> the approval process. They're like, just won't touch it. It's very That's funny. Um, but there's other people competing to be that now. And this is how the dollar is going to be. And so I think, you know, people that are very focused on reporting about CBDCs need to pay attention to these kind of developments. It's very important. Absolutely. Um, and that's the biggest takeaway, I think, from this piece in particular. It's, it's important information. Do, do you think that the process or the program is still moving and just your opinion or have they, you know, since Sam Bankman free and that kind of whole thing seems. Oh, to be it's older. still moving, but it's not going to be necessarily, it's not going to involve Moonstone bank and FTX mm-hmm. or Sam right. Bankman freed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fluent finance went and moved somewhere else and is doing the same thing. They were always meant to do. Right. Which is building the infrastructure for this. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of other companies doing it. Like I mentioned earlier, there's tether, there's circle and, and, you know, I'm sure there'll you know, be others that pop up and try and, and be something. Um, but they definitely need to be, be, they need to be looked into because a lot of very shady people, uh, helped create tether. One of them is Brock Pierce, who's been tied to like pedophilia scandals. Mm. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, not a good guy would not trust him. Uh, and you know, other, other figures, uh, I'll be doing a lot more on that in the coming year probably, but for now, uh, you know, I think, um, I think in, intelligence agencies, well, I know because I wrote a book that talks a lot about this, have used particular banks for their ends for a long time, and they tend mm-hmm. to be based in the Caribbean. <laughs> a lot of them are. Um, and I definitely think that in the new modern era, because of technology, 
um, that Tether and some of these other, uh, you know, things like Tether have been used like the way BCCI was used in the eighties. <laughs> right, right. Um, that's just my opinion, but um, yeah. So I think you know, they're just trying at. to line up and get all their ducks in a row for, and for regulation and, and whatnot. And yeah, I think any um, there's a lot of big efforts to co-opt, you know, Bitcoin um, and any sort of, you know, currency that like could afford financial freedom or privacy like Monero, all of those are going to get, they're going to, I mean, they're making plans and we should pay attention to their plans. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And you don't ever need to sell me on, on the, on them being capable of the worst possible scenario. <laughs> like it's exactly <laughs> what I probably think is happening. Yeah. But you know, one quick question before we move on to just kind of, I guess, just discussing the, 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 how that comes into play. So to the average person, and even to me, this, this is something that stands out to me. So they have the USDC, right? Like that's a thing. That's the United States, the U S dollar kind of a U- digital... USD circle. Yeah. Right, USDC. Right. Yeah. So is that, so why would that not be the obvious choice to be the. Well, know, cause they're competing market? cause they're dollar peg stable coins, which means that they're supposed to be like for every tether issue, they're supposed to be $1 kept in reserve. Right. right. And that's how uh, Circle is supposed to manage USDC. But there was a problem with that with the Silicon Valley banking crisis because Silicon Valley Bank had a lot of their reserves. And so they had to scramble to move them elsewhere. And now I think they're mostly at BNY Mellon, um, which is a bank tied up with this group that Fluent Finance is affiliated with doing this stuff in the UAE. I mean, it's very possible because I mean, but there's competition between them because it's not known if Congress is going to allow several to operate or if they're going to allow very few or just one, you know? Yeah. There's competition right. for it. No, it makes, I mean, Binance before everything that happened there tried to have a, have one, you yeah. know, PayPal just launched a dollar pig stable coin, man. Yeah. They are in the game. So there's a lot of competition there. Yeah. The digital dollar war, it's happening and people should, uh, you know, if you're interested in the financial aspect of this, definitely pay attention. I agree. I agree. Well, let's, let's end with the discussion about, you know, how you see this actually happening, like the hypotheticals, you know, because I don't think this is going to be a, here's your option. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think this is going to be something because we're, they look more than ever, people are on guard right now, whether it's because of the COVID-19 illusion or whatever else, people just aren't as open and receptive yeah. to the basic things. And so, you know, what, what do you think is going to be the next, you know, and it's hypothetical, obviously, but what do you think, in your opinion, is going to be the next step that we see that initiates this? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, it's hard to know because, I mean, I think because of it, because of how they framed it. Um, that it's likely to be this cascading cyber pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be different events that are, uh, that happen sporadically. And then uh, it, it climaxes. So like there's more spaced out to begin with. And then as momentum builds, they come faster and faster and faster. And then it's, it's total insanity or something. That yeah. seems to be how they've like set up how that cyber stuff is going to play out. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so much hyping of it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's inevitable. I think it's interesting too, it's by the way, unfortunate. I was going to show you this just in general, that uh, there's all these Iran linked discussions. So this is yeah. a number, number 25th and Iran linked hacker group with ties to the Iranian state itself. 
took control of part of a municipal water authority. And it says uh, in Pennsylvania or in, yeah, in Pittsburgh, of course, which you'll find interesting. And then it says, uh, where was it right here? Entered through an Israeli made programmable logic controller. Just like, you know, it's exactly what you keep talking about. That, that's, is, that could be seen as a vulnerability or in fact, the very reason that it's there. You know, I think that's the interesting thing, the overlap there. And then just all these different threats, hypothetical, you know, about telling you that, your water systems are, are a threat or, you know, the idea that this is where I saw that overlap as we've talked about many times, you know, that this becomes a cyber attack on something that connects with your health, you know, the, the threat, the risk. And then also this is, here's uh, Albania, you know, just different parts of the world. They're claiming Iran is just going around attacking, you know, and yeah. then I, go ahead. You have a thought? <clears throat> no, no, no. I'm just saying, yeah. Okay. Well, I just, Good I was going to just add with that just on the, the part that I thought was interesting is that, so here we are, being point that Iran is the big focal point now because obviously the Israel conversation seems to be in the central part of yeah, the conversation. Yeah, Israel's ready for war with Iran, and that means they're ready to get the U.S. to go to war with right. Iran on their behalf because they've said for 20 years that the U.S. has to strike first. Right. <laughs> we were actually you were not, you were just talking about that on the last show we did about yeah. The, yeah. the CTI league. It's and, a, and it's guys, admitted. It's yeah. admitted. Mayor Dagan, Mossad director, said that. um so so, yeah i mean people and i mean you combine that with like the uss liberty and stuff it's very obvious what they're going to do and then you have ann nurberger whose picture you were just showing who's like a top cybersecurity official in the united states she has like i mean an admitted dual loyalty problem Mm -hmm. she's literally like said it um so yeah i mean that's an important conversation that more people are aware of today that has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with nationality. No, <laughs> no, no. It's not, it's not because of, you know, her religion that I say that I'm saying right, that because right. she's quoted as saying stuff about her views about it. Yeah, no, no, trust me. The audience is well aware. And that's my point is that it's the, the, uh, the manipulation is to try to make that about something that's not, you yeah. know, that, that's an important conversation. And I, I was just going to add to the, the interesting part about it is the Iran focus and then out of nowhere. And I just thought you'd get that. You've seen this before. I just, I, uh, ISIS yeah. claims responsibility or so we're told anyway, I'm not even getting into whether it's real or whether the event, but the fact that we're being told that ISIS claims responsibility for an attack on Iran. And I just think, God, that can't be that. As I said, how many times exactly do we need to see ISIS attack the enemies of Israel at peak hostile hostile rhetoric before we understand what we're looking at. And then when they're engaged in battle with the IDF, they say, oops, we're sorry. And they run away. Totally. Do you like, remember when that happened? I was yeah. just like, mm, yeah. Or, or they treat them in Syria. You know, it's just like, my yeah. God, it's I mean, so US, UK, Israel runs ISIS. Anyone that's followed any of the Syria stuff or any other thing involving ISIS for any amount of time should know. Yeah. Well, th- remember this old clip? I can play it real quick if it's easy. The C-SPAN where they, they talk about the name for the Israeli Secret Intelligence Service, which is the ISIS, right? Which is not that, you know, so too are the, uh, you know, ISI or whatever the groups in the Britain. But, you know, the point that I just find that to be an interesting overlap, regardless of any of it, the point is that you can prove James Corbett's excellent work. Ben Swan's got a great documentary. The receipts are there. The uh, Israel and the United States are responsible for the creation of yes. these entities, the funding, the arming, Indeed. the moving. It's wild, you know? So, and then this, yeah. and this was at like a Kasim Soleimani's tomb and the U S with Israel's prompting murdered right. him. Right. So, I mean, yeah, duh. Crazy. I mean, 
That's all I really have to say about that. But as far yeah. as these Iranian linked hackers go, the amount of evidence linking it to Iran is just a joke. Just like it's been for years, like we talked about with CTI League. It's just like relying on all these intelligence leak cybersecurity firms, some of which are openly funded by intelligence agencies, <laughs> right. um, saying these guys are bad, trust us, and they don't provide any evidence. They're just like medium to high probability it's this. And they don't tell you why. It's just I, like, I was laughing. We're going to go to war over that kind of evidence, but I don't think it matters anymore because, like we've talked about before, they've degraded journalism like so much. Where like, even if you're trying to do like reporting on leaks or like whistleblower files, it's just like, here's a screenshot on Twitter, right? That's all it's, the evidence you need, guys. It's people um, are just respect like not i think it's more less than it has been but i think the the ones that are lost in this are lost more than ever and it's so interesting to see yeah. I, the tweet that you shared today i thought was funny and it's kind of a perfect little broad point for it that says the you know the i think it was something that the government admits that yeah the cia broke the law in the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s 90s you know but never got yeah. caught and nobody had any accountability but today they're they won't ever do it because you know whatever that tweet never, was never again yeah they, yeah, they learned their lesson yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, obviously they're right. the same group they always were, and they're going to keep lying to you. Just people <laughs> need to start paying attention. Yeah, but uh, just to end, I guess, which is the you know the part that I can see all this in a weird abstract way coming together is people don't to forget and don't forget that these things. This is a global agenda, and it doesn't have to mean that every single entity, let's just say Palestinians and their you know the resistance or somehow part of some long-term interview like people try to make it about the one thing it's only the 15 minute city or it's only this thing you know it's never like that but i think what's interesting is that no matter how multifaceted it is these things are still happening there's they're trying to find ways to rationalize the push for these this is from 20 2021 just simply saying palestine palestine central bank reportedly mulling a cbdc launch and it's just showing you that it is literally everywhere and this is going to be driven in and it will be yeah. pushed on people that think like let's say the people in gaza it'll be pushed in a situation that's going to say we'll give you all of this if you just sign up for this and accept that and Look. people that are dying probably will <laughs> After the conflict in Gaza ends, it doesn't matter if Israel openly occupies it or not. They will put a group in power uh, that will bring fourth industrial revolution technocracy to Gaza. Right. Uh, it's the same model, and it's pretty much admitted already, mm -hmm. um, that they followed in Ukraine, where it's like bulldoze Ukraine and then build a technocracy in its place. And Ukraine, under Zelensky, got their CBDC and digital ID app and all this stuff. Um, and now BlackRock and all these guys are basically going to rebuild Ukraine however they want. Um, and that's how Gaza is going to be, too. And a lot of what's likely to happen in the rebuilding of Gaza is going to most likely be based off of things that we saw during the Trump administration with their peace to prosperity plan, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Robert called um, it the steel of the century. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that, but basically, like, outside foreign investors, mainly, like, Israeli and American uh, treating Palestinians like IPOs, which is what Steve Mnuchin said <laughs> back then. Um, yeah, so that's how it's going to be, probably. Uh, very mm -hmm. unfortunate. Um, but Palestinians have been the test bed for a lot of stuff for a very long time, and... That is what it is poised to be, whether the IDF is occupying it or the IDF decides who gets to be in Gaza after the conflict. Right. Um, 
It's they're, complicated. They're... But one point I do want to point out, though, mm -hmm. is like, regardless of any country that's at odds with either, you know, the US, Israel, UK access, they're still doing this digital ID, CBDC technocracy push. Right. Um, and it's it's just seemed like ever since the war in Ukraine broke out, like we can't talk about that, um, at least in some spheres. You know, Russia um, is definitely full steam ahead on digital IDs and CBDC and right. mass biometric surveillance and a lot of this stuff that is very bad. Um, maybe he, you know, Putin will say things that are true about the United States and, you know, the criminal activity it engages in or other countries. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's not imposing technocracy over his own population, which right. if you were against that in everywhere else, you should be against it there, too. Just my opinion. Um, you also have a lot of those same pushes happening in Iran. Um, and coming global. to Palestine, they'll come everywhere. The whole point yeah. is to have it be a global thing. Um, all of the countries in the world pretty much agree on Agenda 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals, the heart of which is digital ID and CBDC. So if you, I mean... If you are against that, you should be against it everywhere, period. Um, and I think it's been hard for some people to sort of get out of the mindset pre-COVID where a lot of that became really obvious of looking at like the nation state tension level um, mm. and only being able to be like, well, you know, there's U.S. empire and then there's the countries that are standing against it, the BRICS block and whatever, and BRICS good, U.S. bad, you know. Um, it, they agree on a lot of stuff that is very bad for everyone and we should consistently oppose it if we oppose yes. it you know absolutely so. i complete well said and i think that the sad part is that it's just another binary way of thinking it's the left right paradigm on a global yeah. scale it's just like getting you to think or like you know don't worry that's bad technocracy but elon is the good technocrat right so it's the exact yeah. same thing but elon's the good guy and it's the same dynamic isn't it you know it's like yeah why would we well, think that the whole trump sphere is gonna be that i mean trump yeah. is gonna i mean trump brought us operation warp speed and all of this crap he is not uh some anti-deep state messiah yeah. he's been in power when he was in power he made people like john bolton national security advisor Pompeo, and like just made horrible God. decisions still defends operation warp speed it's madness mm -hmm. it's madness so if you don't think he would sign off on this stuff i mean he's basically run by israel it's very obvious right. um russia gate was really israel gate you know right. Right. <laughs> um you know psi group and stuff and whatever um so I mean, it's going to it's going to go the same route, but I think they're just milking the QAnon thing, this whole like messiah messianic thing around Trump, this like false light, great awakening, whatever. Um and Elon Musk is definitely tied up with that, and now you have Alex Jones being re rehabilitated to pump that because I mean, this is a guy that said that the op warp speed vaccines uh were sugar water cuz Trump was making them. Yep. So uh, people, people uh, that guy can bend himself into pretzels to justify whatever Trump does. Yeah. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to something like that and not you know you people people need to be careful who they listen to. I'll be very kind about it. <laughs> it's just like that's yeah. how about on, vaccines are never sugar water. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> just just the idea know. of that statement, you know. But just we just got to be careful to question all of these people, right? But it's yeah, it's it's so obvious how there's going to be a push to drive this based on these party lines. But I guess yeah. last thing I want to ask you, do you think that that is less 
or more pronounced than it was before, let's just say the Israel-Gaza discussion, because I, I feel positive about it to a degree. Yeah, I, you, you mean like the Trump stuff? I mean, or just yeah, in general, I, like that people are more will, susceptible to those kind of manipulations or, mm, or not? To an extent, I think more people probably get that there's something wrong with the Israel stuff maybe even than before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a big issue for RFK's candidacy. Yeah. I would argue he's totaled it because of his uh, extreme Zionist stance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it just doesn't fit with everything else he he says at all. It's, so, it's immorally yeah. indefensible. I said that the moment he came out with that stance. It it's You're right. That's the best way to put it. It's like coming out and saying all these good things about freedom and then <laughs> you know, siding with, with Hitler. It's just like, wait, hold on a second. Like that doesn't make any sense with what you were doing before. You know, it's just, it's just crazy to me. His stance. Well, was always a, a friend of mine interviewed him and he talked about all this stuff about um, being against, you know, fiat, uh, you know, infinite money printing of fiat uh, of dollars to like finance war and all this stuff. But he like wants that to happen when it's being sent from the U S to Israel. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, see, there's just far too many contradictions that if you if you support everything Israel's doing blindly, that right there contradicts a lot of things that he was fighting against in his campaign, like the medical treatment of the people in Israel. Yeah, and you know, what that precisely though is why I think it, the Israel Gaza stuff hasn't been as effective as it might have been before because mm-hmm. they're mainly targeting the American right. Yeah, but the yeah. American right during COVID, and obviously people not on the right, but largely on the right. Um, were very dehumanized during the COVID era. Everyone mm-hmm. that didn't take the vaccine was dehumanized. Most of the uh, people that didn't take the vaccine are right-leaning Americans. So they were just subjected to the whole dehumanizing treatment. Right. And that is precisely uh, the same tactic on which essentially all Israeli propaganda against Palestinians rests. So right. after you know how it feels, I don't think enough time had passed. I think they're like, mm, why are we saying they're animals? I mean, you have like that big COVID health freedom influencer, Eli David guy, like literally having pictures of Palestinian kids and they're like Satan. That's, he's got to be the worst person alive right now, as far as I'm concerned. Like, that, just, but that's yeah. mad. I mean, that's obvious dehumanization. Like these people yeah. are animals. These people are savages. These people are all terror. I mean, that's like Israeli propaganda. That's Hasbro yeah. about Palestinians. Right. And so yeah. people were just like subjected to all of that with COVID and like know how that feels and how it's a lot, how they were lied about mm-hmm. and how they were right and all of this stuff. And so I think a lot of people on the right, I think they didn't time that well enough or didn't expect how that would affect people. Well, good. I think. Yeah. Because also remember Netanyahu, I mean, the same guy in power now doing all of this that supposedly care is doing all of this to protect Israeli lives is the one that turned Israel into a giant lab for Pfizer. Right. Um, where's RFK on that? You know? that that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to a second ago is like, that's a hardcore contradiction right there to what you, you don't saying. think Netanyahu who's about to lose power because of the judicial reform stuff mm-hmm. would want a big attack to happen and a big war to happen. So he can stay in power longer, even if it means sacrificing a few, you know, a couple hundred Israeli civilians, you don't think he'd yeah. be okay with that when he was like, let's jab everybody in Israel and see what happens for Pfizer. We know he would. His own Haaretz and Times I know. Have an article <laughs> saying that, as you know, right? I Writing know, but that's that my point. It's, 
that's why I think, you know, some people would be like, hmm, I actually stopped liking, you know, like right-leaning people that like have an, you know, an affinity for Israel. Maybe they mm. were like, I don't like Netanyahu anymore during the COVID era. And maybe they still don't. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe they had some oversight there and how this was going to play out. Cause I think Israel has had a much harder time with the propaganda war than they have in, in the past for sure. Oh, yeah. And that's a big problem for them, obviously. Yeah. And I think that increases the risk that they'll do some crazy escalation. And I also worry um, because Netanyahu essentially said it, that if the U S doesn't support Israel, then essentially Hamas sleeper cells in the U S will be activated, right. suggesting some sort of like Al Qaeda play style play. Yeah, that that um, was pretty because nine eleven and all of that got the U.S. to declare war on Israel's enemies. Um, right. And so, why would that I, not? I mean, I'm sure that would work again. That's how they well, feel about it. I think because remember, neoconservatism in the U.S. Um, Richard Pearl wrote this book, uh, the, this paper called "A Clean Break" in the late '90s for Netanyahu when he first came to power, saying. Uh, Saddam needs to be taken out for right. you. And then he's in, you know, has a major post at the Defense Department <laughs> in the post 9-11 era in the Bush administration and all of the stuff. And the neocons, I mean, a, a key thing of neoconservative uh, thought is to uh, have U.S. foreign policy be Israeli foreign policy. And they're right. actually not the same thing. They should not oh, be God. the same thing, but that's they're neoconservatism not, yeah. and neoconservatives right. are still very much in power. And a lot of them rebranded during the COVID era um, and set up websites like stop vaccine passports and hmm. stuff like that. Right. And we're Steve. inviting people from children's health defense on and trying to get credibility back. So people <sighs> in the Trump, you know, base, the base they lost because Trump came to power because they're the base hates the neocons. Right. Mm. How do the neocons rebuild trust? They tried during COVID and now they're trying to lead people, um, you know, into supporting more wars for Israel. And unfortunately, I think RFK, whether he knows it or not, is part of that. Yeah. And I, I that's where, don't forget, Trump already floated a very weirdly timed that, you know, Hamas will just come from the southern border. Out of nowhere, he said that. And, you know, all these yeah. weird floated thoughts like that. Yeah, we have to, you know, not... Do, there's a lot of reason to think that there's going to be action like that or rather just the insinuation of yeah. the drive us. And that is another way that the U S is going to get hit with the digital ID hammer is too many illegals. We don't know who's here. Everyone needs digital ID. Right. Right. That's one of the yeah. big ones I keep talking about on the show is the, the mm -hmm. obvious way in which you can see the Republican on a dime being like, Oh, now we like digital IDs because immigrants are bad, you know? And it's like that, not everybody. I quite frankly, to our point now, I, I think a lot of them, are seeing beyond the illusion, but I think some of them will fall for that. You know, the same way they do in any of these situations, they use the wedge issue to drive them in a new direction, you know, to rationalize yeah. it for the new current thing. And and there we are, you know, so well, I like think Ron DeSantis, he got a lot of cred for opposing the vaccines and all of this stuff still has. Right. But he's, he's very militantly will do anything Israel wants. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's against CBDC, but Florida is full steam ahead on digital IDs and digital driver's license and stuff. Right. Right. I don't really so. believe that's his, his stance to be. Quite no, honest. but that's, that, this is what I'm saying. They adopt, they have people who have adopted these stances to rebuild trust. But if you actually look at mm -hmm. what they're doing, they're leading us to the same place essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was a good place to leave it. I think I'll, I'm going to end with a clip, uh, shared by the Solari, Solari report. Um, and I, th I think this is 
an interesting clip we played before, but I think it's a good one to end on. Just the CBDC, uh, it says Neil Kashari, president for the Minneapolis Federal Reserve, basically just saying that, you know, we see why China wants to do this, but we don't understand. You know, there's no benefit to it. Showing you that really all this does is, you know, remove your rights from you and give more power to the government, which is exactly what he's been saying the whole damn time. So, Whitney, thank you for uh, for being here again. It's always nice to chat with you, and I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Anything else you want to leave yeah. us with? we take off uh no just that this cash kari thing him being like against cbdc right. is exactly part of the playbook because it's not it, i see why china's doing it and blah 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 we're you know we're not the fed we don't know if we're gonna do it because we don't want to do that drac- draconian stuff right. we you know but no they want to give the power for that draconian stuff to wall street <laughs> right right well so the important point with this is that it's interesting that in this, this is one of those cases where, as you're pointing out, the truth is being used to manipulate you, right? But he's still yeah. telling you that, yeah, these things are going to take your rights away. But, and then, you know, the, the next narrative comes around to, to sell you on why that may be the case or needs to be the case. But in any case, the point is that your rights are being removed so they can drive this in to have more control over your life. And yep. we should not want that. <laughs> so thank you for, for no. tuning in. Thanks for joining me today, Whitney. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. Asking anybody anybody at the Fed or outside of the Fed to explain to me what problem this is solving. I can send anybody in this room $5 with Venmo right now, right? No, seriously. So what is it that a CBDC could do that Venmo can't do? And all I get is a bunch of hand-waving. I get a bunch, well, maybe it's better for financial inclusion. Maybe it's better for cross-border remittances. Maybe. Is there any evidence that it is? And, you know, they say, well, what about China? China's doing it. Well, I can see why China would do it. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. If you want to impose negative interest rates, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. And if you want to directly tax customer accounts, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. So I get why China would be interested. Why would the American people be for that? 